0: Good morning. morning. It is a great morning to be in the house of the Lord. I especially want to thank our visitors this morning. I know there's many places you could be on an Easter Sunday. So thank you for joining the ABC family. And I hope you feel it welcome today. Now, today's an important day because we are lifting up the name of Jesus as we do every Sunday. But today we are gathering with the church all around the world to celebrate that the tomb is empty so, today we are actually communicating the same message that's been communicated now for nearly 2,000 years that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Y'all did pretty good. For those new here, you may not know it, but you signed up to preach today because this message is too big for one preacher. In fact, we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come because Jesus Christ lived the life we were incapable of living. He died the death that we deserved, and he was raised on the third day to give us new life. So today, the church proclaims boldly that Christ is risen, For the last six weeks, I've been talking about the last words of Jesus, and we focused on Calvary, and from Calvary, Jesus communicated seven different things, and we went through those week by week by week, and we concluded on Good Friday, but the scriptures tell us that those last words of Jesus actually were not the last words, because death did not have the last word, because Christ is risen. So Jesus was raised on the third day, and he actually had some new first words. And today, we're going to communicate those first words. We're going to look to the God's word and see what he had to say when he was raised on that first Easter Sunday. And those first words were communicated to a woman named Mary Magdalene. And we're going to look to that text in John chapter 20 and look at the first words, but more importantly, I want you to know today, Christ has a word for you as well, because Jesus is alive, and Jesus is still speaking, and he'll speak to you here in this place if you'll open up your heart to receive it, because Christ is risen If you have your Bible, join me in John chapter 20, and we're going to see these first words communicated to Mary Magdalene. Beginning in verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, And one at the feet. So let's pause there to give you a little bit of context to the scene of what we're looking at here. We're introduced to Mary and we're told she's weeping. And why is she weeping? It's because she saw her Savior, the Lord of Lords, die on a cross on that Good Friday. We're told that Jesus was crucified for six hours on that first Good Friday and he died around 3 p.m. And at that time, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich, affluent man, a member of the Sanhedrin, he approached Pontius Pilate and he asked for permission to take Jesus' body and go give him a proper burial. And Joseph did this because he was a follower of Jesus, but he also did this to fulfill scripture. Because in Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah said 700 years before that moment that the king of kings, lord of lords, would be crucified with sinners, but he would be buried with the wealthy. And here you see a wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea, getting Jesus, and he calls on Nicodemus, who we're introduced to in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin, and Nicodemus was a secret follower of Christ, but the two of them come together. We're told Nicodemus in John chapter 19 bring 75 pounds of myrrh and ointment, and they start to give Jesus a proper burial. The problem was time was working against them. Because Jesus died at 3 p.m. on Friday. The Sabbath was quickly approaching just hours away when it got dark. So they did everything they could. They took Jesus's body. They prepared him for burial, and they put him in that tomb, but the job apparently wasn't completely finished because Mary Magdalene comes on the first day, we're told in verse 1 of John 20. So on Sunday, and she shows up to help actually add to that process. She's there to wrap up those loose ends, and she gets there early in the morning, we're told, while it's still dark. Now, who on earth is Mary Magdalene is a fair question. The truth is, we don't know a whole lot about Mary Magdalene, We do know she was from the city called Magdala. That's why we have that name. In fact, we'll be leading a trip to Israel, our church. Some of y'all will be coming with me in November. You're going to get to see Magdala because it is a city that's been excavated and you can actually look at the ruins where Mary lived. But as you know, she came from this city called Magdala, the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And we don't know a whole lot about her. The only introduction we get to her is actually in Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, we're told that she had seven demons that were in her, that were tormenting her, but she met Jesus. And Jesus did what he always does. He healed her, and he called her to new life. And she started following him. And even here after he was crucified, she's still following him. She's following him all the way to the tomb, and we're told she showed up before everyone else. And when she showed up in verse 1 of chapter 20, she didn't even look inside, but she saw that the stone had been removed. Immediately, Mary Magdalene, rightfully so, starts thinking someone must have taken his body. This is the natural human conclusion. She thinks something tragic has transpired, so she runs for help. And we're told she runs to Peter and John. John, who writes this gospel account, makes it known that he got there first, which I always think is funny. We're told Peter and John ran to the tomb soon as Mary Magdalene came to them. And John wanted us to know that he's faster than Peter. And he showed up, but he deferred to Peter. And Peter looked in. And Peter saw the linens, and he saw the headcloth wrapped up neatly by Jesus because Jesus leaves nothing undone. And he sees the cloths and they know something's happened. We're told John believes in that moment. So John and Peter run away, but Mary's not even in the picture. They ran, she had stayed, she's still sobbing. And then in verse 11, we're told she comes back. And she doesn't know what's transpired at this point. So she is weeping, still wondering where is the body of Jesus And we're told this time she looks in. It says she stooped to look into the tomb. And what did she see there? She saw two angels. And she looks at these two angels, and we're told they're sitting actually on the stone where Jesus' body was laid, one at the head and one at the feet. It's reminiscent of Old Testament imagery because the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God would rest in the temple. And you remember it had this cover on the top of it and what were on the two ends? Cherubim, angelic creatures, one on one end and one on the other. And what was that spot in the, in the temple? We're told that was the mercy seat. It's where the high priest would go to call on the Lord for mercy. And then here you see in the empty tomb, God is declaring there's a new mercy seat because there on that empty tomb, on that stone, there's an angel on both sides because from this point forward, there is a new way to call upon mercy and grace from the Lord. That mercy and grace comes through this empty tomb in the finished work of Christ because Christ is risen. He is risen so Mary walks in and she sees these angels But before we get to this conversation of what they're going to say, it's worth noting how on earth did Mary get inside? Because if you know anything about the resurrection story, you know the stone was massive. It was not something she could have pushed out of the way. And Matthew actually tells us one of those angels had already done it. She didn't see it. She just got to walk right in, but the stone had been removed. Now, why did the angels move that stone? Some might say it was so Jesus could walk out and I would argue you're wrong. And the reason why is Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. He is not held by any limitations and that stone could not have gotten in his way. In fact, if you keep reading in John chapter 20, he's gonna go make a appearance to his disciples and there's a locked door and that doesn't seem to stop Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. So why was that stone rolled away? it wasn't rolled away for Jesus, it was rolled away for Mary. It was rolled away for Mary and for the disciples because they didn't have the power to do that. They needed God to intervene and for God to remove a weight that they could not move themselves. In church, Jesus Christ has removed a weight that we cannot remove ourselves we're told that there's this heavy weight we carry with us everywhere. It's called sin. And that sin brings a penalty, and the scriptures say the penalty is death. But that sin also brings a power about it because we can't seem to conquer our sin. I know you've tried, but I also know you failed. Because we've all tried over and over to stop that thing, to try to be a better person, to pursue virtue and values. And what we find out is that we just keep tripping up over and over and over again. But Jesus Christ removed that stone for us there in the resurrection. Because you see, Jesus took the penalty of our sin, which is death. And Jesus was crucified for us so that we could live But then Jesus also removed the power of sin through his resurrection. Because we're told if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ and you surrender your life to him, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is available to live inside of you and me. And suddenly sin is no longer binding us down because the power of God is living in and through us. That stone was moved for Mary and it was moved for you as well and I hope you hear me on this first point today God has opened up a door for you God has opened up a door for you he has done for man what man could not do himself he has opened up a door for you and I to walk in and receive new life Years ago, I remember I was driving my car one day and I made that cardinal sin, that problem none of us want to have, but it was my problem that day. I had locked my my keys into the vehicle and I knew it immediately. As Soon as it happened, I realized it wasn't on me. Somehow it had fallen out, whatever it was, but it was inside, car was locked, couldn't get in. Problem was, there was no second key. I was that smart not to have a spare, so there was no other key to get in and I knew I needed those. So what I did was I decided I could get in myself. I've watched a lot of movies. I've seen coat hangers put in the window and it can't be that complicated. So I pulled up YouTube and I started looking, how on earth do you do this? And I took out a coat hanger and I just started digging in there, trying to get in. People driving by, I'm like, don't call the cops. I'm a pastor, don't do it. And I'm going in there trying to get into the door. And I went on with that for a few minutes. But then I realized I can't open that door. I don't have the power. But the good news was I knew someone I could call. And I called a locksmith and he came by and he opened that door and he opened up a door that I could not open myself. And can I just tell you in love, you cannot open up the door to eternal life on your own. You can't you can't open up the door to freedom from your sin there's a reason why self-help books are the best-selling books in America and there's a reason why those books keep being published because no one's gotten it right and no one's provided the help that we're looking for because we can't fix ourselves but I do know someone you can call that will open up that door for you Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins. He's rolled away that stone so we can walk in and meet the Almighty. And if you want to know him today, you can, because Christ is risen. risen Verse 13, they said to her, the angels, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. So we're told in this text that she has a couple conversations. She looks in and she sees these angels. And the angels ask her a question, why are you weeping? And she says, because someone's taken the Lord. Someone's taken Jesus. And she's having this conversation and she's just a mess thinking someone has stolen his body. But then she has a surprise visitor show up. And we're told the resurrected Christ finds Mary Magdalene right there and he asks her the same question, why are you crying? Now I've always found it interesting that she thought he was a gardener, which that is such an interesting point because sometimes in life we have Jesus right in front of us and we miss him too. And Jesus is being revealed to her, but she missed it initially which has happened for you and I so often. Perhaps he's been revealed to you your whole life and you've missed it, but you don't have to miss it if you don't want to today because Jesus called out to her. She didn't know who he was and there's a lot of reasons why. Part of it is she's just a blubbering mess in that moment. I can imagine there's just tears everywhere. She's not thinking clearly. She's not seeing clearly. But the more important reason why she did not recognize Jesus is because Jesus was in his glorified body. Christ was resurrected, and with that, he received new life. And it's interesting as you go through the account in all four Gospels, when he would come across people, they didn't know who he was at first. It happened on the road to Emmaus, it happened with Thomas. You remember, he had to show his hands and his feet. And it's a picture to us of what the glorified state will look like one day, that yes, we'll look similar, but we will also look different because we'll be like him, is what Paul says. That in the twinkling of an eye, when Christ returns, we will be resurrected, and we will be transformed and made like him. She sees him first in that glorified body, and she's confused, and she misses out on who he is, but how did she receive clarity? It wasn't that Jesus started showing his physical appearance further to her. He did not show his hands like he did to Thomas. Instead, what did he do? He said her name. He said, Mary. And immediately when she heard her name, she responded, teacher. She knew who he was. What Jesus is showing is that he meant what he said in John chapter 10, verse three. He said his sheep hear his voice and he calls them by their name. Jesus is personal. Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him. He knows their name and they know his voice. And the good news is Jesus says he's the good shepherd and he's actually still adding more into his flock today. In that same famous passage in John chapter 10 and verse 16, we're told this. We're told, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus said that he's gonna keep adding more into his flock He said, my sheep know me, I know them. They know my voice, I know their names. But he says, I'm gonna keep calling and I'm gonna keep adding more to my flock. And can I tell you today, Jesus is adding more to his flock still. Jesus is still calling. You might say, I don't see him anywhere. He's still calling and how does he call? Primarily he calls through the proclamation of his word. Jesus speaks through this book. That's why in Hebrews we're told that this word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God speaks through his word, and the word never returns void. But as if the word wasn't loud enough, he also sent his spirit. And what does Jesus call his spirit? He calls him our helper. And he helps us in so many ways. And one way is he helps us understand that which is proclaimed. Because a supernatural thing happens when Jesus calls your name. You hear the word, but then the word is affirmed in your spirit through the Holy Spirit who's helping you know that he is alive and that he is calling you to himself. And I hope you hear me today if you don't hear me on anything else. Jesus is calling your name. Jesus today is calling, and he's calling your name. I was thinking about this this idea of calling. And we all get called by our names all the time. In fact, I get called all day, every day, sometimes it feels like. My cell phone calls me all the time. There's phone calls, there's text messages, there's emails. But I also get calls from home, at home. My children call me, my wife calls me, you're no different. A lot of you get calls while you're at work. Your employer's calling out to you. Your employees are calling out to you. Your customers are calling out to you. But even the world also calls out to us. Marketers call out to you constantly saying, purchase this, this will help you, this will meet that need. And even society calls out to us. Politicians, the media, leaders, institutions, they say, believe this, do this, become this. But if you dissect all those voices that we hear all day, every day, you know what the commonality is between all of them? They all want something from you. They all do. They all are calling because they want to actually take something from you. They want something from you. But when Jesus calls, you know why he calls? Because he wants to give something to you. We're told in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. Christ calls us with the intention of giving us life. Jesus did not come to take. He actually came to give, to give you the life that you're actually looking for, the joy, the hope, the peace that can only come through knowing him. So church, if you hear his voice calling you today, do not screen his call, because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said, these things to her. So Jesus is now with Mary Magdalene. She recognized his voice, and what was her response when she heard his voice when he called her name? She clung to him. You can just visualize her grabbing him by the legs, by the feet, holding on to him. And what is Jesus's response to her? He said, don't cling to me, which might sound really rude and unexpected, But it's not because Jesus is trying to push her away because once again, Jesus draws people to himself. But instead, what did he say? He said, but go. He said, stop holding on to me, instead go. And what is she supposed to go do? He says, go and tell. Mary Magdalene actually receives the Great Commission before the Great Commission. She's told to go and tell she wants to stay there with jesus and go nowhere but jesus says i love you mary so much i've got bigger plans for you than you realize that you're about to be a living witness to who i am and what i've done my plans are better than your plans to stay here and god calls her to action because god calls all of his people to action he doesn't want us to stay where we are he wants us to advance forward And I hope you hear this final point today. Jesus has plans for your life. Jesus absolutely has plans for your life. He calls you by your name, he draws you to himself, and then he sends you out to actually accomplish his perfect purposes for you and through you. Jesus has plans for your life and they are better than the plans you have for yourself. Years ago, we had an issue in our bathroom. This was a few houses ago, two houses ago. Shower had a leak, big issue, a lot of water. Long story short, the shower was going to have to be demoed. The whole thing was going to have to be taken out, and we were going to have to start over, and I knew it. So I'm a planner, and I already told you I like YouTube. So I started YouTubing and planning and looking and searching, trying to figure out what this shower could or should look like, all that stuff. And I started searching, I started putting together a plan of what I think this should be. But all that changed when I actually called somebody who knew what it should be. Because I called a contractor to come, someone I trusted, and he revealed a better plan. And he told me, actually, this is probably what you should do, because it could look like this. And he started talking about materials I didn't even understand. He started talking about a layout I hadn't even considered. And what I realized was, I'm really good at making a plan, but sometimes other people have a better plan than me. And in our own lives, we're all good at making plans. We all have plans for our lives. Can I tell you in love, Jesus's plans are better than your own. They're better. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of our God. Paul says he's smarter than me. He's wiser than me. He knows more. He sees ahead of all things because he operates outside of time. His plans are better than your plans, so don't settle for a lesser plan when Christ says, I have something for you to do. He calls us to himself and then he sends us out to walk and fulfill his purposes for our lives. And he's qualified to do so because he knows your name. He knit you together in your mother's womb, he redeemed you through his own blood. And Jesus is still calling today and he is sending us out to walk in new life. So often we make Easter Sunday the end all be all of our faith. It's a big day. Don't get me wrong. But can I just tell you, today's not the end. Easter at its core is about new beginnings. It's about new life. And today, if you hear his voice, I encourage you, don't screen his call because he's opened up a door for you that you can't open yourself And as he calls you to obedience and to live for his glory, don't go with your own plan because your plan's not better. And his plans will give you new life. Jesus has a word for each of us this morning, and he's invited us to walk in new life because Christ is risen. risen Christ is risen.